this is MLK Weekend. And just to let you know what our thinking is and our work is in the area of faith and race. So three things have been happening recently. We went in November to um, a Mosaics conference, which is a conference for multi-ethnic churches. We had a bunch of staff and members of our Agape team, the faith and race team, go to uh, this conference. We had a great time, a lot of learning, a lot of good things happening with that. We came back, and then in the first two Sundays of November, we had uh, two sermons on faith and race. Pastor Dante delivered one, and then I had one. And so if you're new and you weren't here yet, and you're curious about how this church is sort of leaning into what it means to be a multi-ethnic church, those sermons would help you get oriented about some of our thinking. Now, we're still very much in process. We have a lot to do uh, on the subject, so, uh, but we're working towards it. In fact, tomorrow, our Agape team the Faith and Race team is going to be meeting to plan out our next steps for 2020. So we'd love for you to pray for that. Just pray uh, as we continue to lean into and to live into what it means to be um, a multi-ethnic church. Um, it's, I'm pretty excited about some of the things that I think God's going to do through that in this community. Um, so join me in prayer for that. In fact, let's pray, and then I'll pray uh, for our message to God. We're grateful um, that you have assembled such a disparate, disparate group of people in this community, uh, people with different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different cultural experiences. And while that can be challenging at times, it's also a beautiful reflection of um, the heavenly picture of all peoples being gathered together in worship of you. And, and so it's our hope and our dream to uh, live into that now, in this world, in this place, uh, in this community, with these people. Um, and as we dive into it, we discover more and more how difficult sometimes the dynamics are, and especially in our, our larger society right now, um, how fraught it is with division and, and difficulty around issues of race. And so we want to ask um, that you would cause your gospel power to be manifest in us in a way that would make us different and, and whole and, and would be a sign of the power of the gospel in the world. As we learn to love one another and serve one another, understand one another, as we talked about last week, listen to one another, um, really know one another in a, a deep and profound way. Um, this is our, our desire. And God, you've given us this sweet little moment in, in the week to be together to worship you, um, to sing your praises together, to share communion, to talk to each other, to pray, um, to open your words in scripture. And, and we want to ask Holy Spirit that you would be especially present with us now. Um, this is an amazing thing that you would be present with us by your spirit, um, with the knowledge of each one of us in our unique circumstances, what we need this morning, um, what we're looking for, what would help us, what would cause us to grow, what would heal our relationships, what would help our relationships to become uh, more godly, more like the way you intended them to be. Um, you hold all of that in your hands, and you don't hold it close. You open your hands to us, and you offer, and you give, and you're present by your Spirit. And we want to receive your goodness today. So we open our hearts as we talk about forgiveness and blame. We open our hearts to you for you to do a work in us of transformation, for you to do a work in us of healing, uh, of empowering, of giving us courage where we need it and insight where we lack that. 
so that uh, we might know you more, we might love better, and we might reflect you better to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, I love my dad, and there are more things that I could even begin to list on the positive column of how he has contributed to my life and the things that he poured into me. But for the sake of this sermon and opening up this topic, I wanted to share an area that was maybe a little bit more of difficulty in my relationship with my father. So my father's uh, way of teaching and helping was generally to be very permissive um, and to allow me to kind of do whatever, and then he would just sort of wait, and when finally um, he couldn't help it any longer, he would sort of download all of his insights and thoughts about what I was doing and who, how I was doing it all at once, and depending on what it was, it could be very emotional and very intense and a little bit overwhelming. And so uh, we kind of danced this dance through my youth, and then Lo and behold, and and by the way, this is, again, I know my kids are going to have things like this to tell me. They already do. So this is the natural, right, flow of parents and and kids and and the differences and the challenges there. Um, But this one, you know, I I got to the stage in my life where we began to have kids and then I was leading things. And I needed to have this skill of being able to help people in an incremental way kind of move from point A to point B, to point C. And I discovered over time there was a kind of a deficiency in my ability to do that. And I realized at some point that's because I I hadn't really seen it that much. And guess what happened then? I started to get upset with my father, right? Because as humans, that's that's what we do. When, When we're struggling with something and we can draw a line to why it's this way, then the next step that we often take is to assign blame for the way things are. Now, we do this in all kinds of ways. We, we blame others for the way that we're behaving. We blame others for who we are. We blame others for how we're feeling. Have you ever done this? You know, you said that, or, or you did this, or you, you lost your temper, and now I feel like this, and it's your fault that I'm, I feel this way. Right? We blame people f- around us for the things that, that we don't have or the things that we, we do have that we don't want. Um, and sometimes that's an ongoing pain of loss that continues to infect our relationship over time. And this whole blame thing goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? When they took of the forbidden fruit and God came to uh, them in the garden and he said, where are you? We talked about this last week. What a beautiful question. Where are you? Uh, And then he said, what have you done? And Adam said, well, uh, Eve gave me the forbidden fruit. He blamed it on her and then she blamed it on the serpent, right? In fact, I would venture to say that blame is a dynamic that is so prevalent in our relationships, we often have become unconscious towards it um, because it's just kind of the, 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 the pool that we swim in uh, for, for, for many of us and, and for me, the relationships that we have. Um, but blame is a kind of a misstep. Blame is a, is a, is a misstep, and that's what I want to talk about 
uh, in the time that we have today. Um, Blame can end up being a kind of a prison that holds us back from what we've been talking about, which is God's way for healthy relationships. And as we did last week, what I'd love to do is is talk and connect um, the way in which we relate to one another with the way that God relates to us and to learn some lessons from that. So, So let's dig a little bit deeper into this idea of blame and the misstep that blame is. Uh, And then out of that, I think we're going to see how how God really has a message for us in understanding how to move through this dynamic in our relationships towards more of a healthy kind of uh, relationship with one another. So breaking it down a little bit, breaking down the the process of blame. Um, You're in a relationship with somebody, okay, this person's here. Um, There's some sort of division or difficulty or disappointment that you're facing, and there's really only a limited number of things that are happening there. If, if, if somebody's done something wrong, either it's, it's, it's your fault, right? Um, but in that moment, sometimes, even though it's our fault, we want to blame the other person. Anybody ever done that? I know I've done that. Um, we want to blame the... Now, another potential is that the, it's, it's the other person's fault. And, uh, and so blame can come in in that moment. We, we want to assign blame to them. Now... When we do that, um, blame is different than just sort of understanding what happened. Understanding what happened is an important process uh, sometimes in life, and, and we need to do that. Blame takes it a step further in that it holds against this person, right, the fault that they had. Uh, and so uh, in, in the first case, um, the, the way out of the prison of, of blame, which ends up being sort of a trap for us in our relationship, is to take responsibility if we're, we're really at fault. We talked last week about how important it is in healthy relationships to have truth. And that's what we talked about, you know, from Genesis, God pursuing us. Um, where are you? The importance of our knowing, truly knowing each other and, and, and not making assumptions and all of that. Uh, well, in this case, if I'm blaming somebody, when, when I'm actually the person who's at fault, then I've introduced uh, falsehood into the relationship, and that's going to have ramifications. And so the solution is to take responsibility. In the other case, when the other person is at fault, what, how do I get out of that? Well, it's to forgive, right? Rather than to hold blame against the person in an ongoing way, to come to the place of forgiveness. Now, in some cases, both people are at fault, uh, and then what happens, you need to practice both. You need to be able to forgive, but you also need to take responsibility for the part that you own, that you've done. And then there's a fourth kind of possibility, and that is that something bad has happened and neither of you are at fault. And yet even in those moments, we can assign blame. Uh, I watched a movie when I was on the airplane on the way back from visiting our daughter um, in, in France, and it was... Um, the aftermath, and it's a story of this couple who is living at the end of World War II, and they've lost a child to the bombing that took place in London. And you don't really learn exactly at how it happens, but the husband ends up blaming the wife for the death of this child. And it introduces this infection in the relationship, and they're incapable of having a healthy marriage because in the middle of it is this blame. Now, what's happened is just simply a tragedy. But even in the midst of tragedies like that, we oftentimes want to assign blame. We want, we want to know why did this happen. And so in a way that's completely disconnected with the truth, we will take that step 
to assign blame to somebody else. Now, blame is a misstep. And what we learn is that if you want to stop taking the misstep of blame, two things need to happen. Either you need to be able to take responsibility for your actions, so you're not blaming somebody else for what is really your responsibility. You know, I think about my, my father, my initial response was, you did this to me. But over time, I began to understand my own contribution to my deficiency in a particular area. And my, maybe my personality dynamics and, and other forces. And isn't that the way when we, when we really get into to, to, to understand these kinds of things? They end up being so much more complex than we initially thought that they were. And so um, blame is a misstep. It ends up being kind of a prison. And you, you find that if you want to, to get out of it, if you want to remove it from the relationship, what you have to do is, is take responsibility for the things that you've done and then offer forgiveness where it needs to be offered to the person who has done harm to you. So taking responsibility and being able to offer forgiveness. Those are the two ways in which we can begin to remove blame from our relationships. And here's the point. I submit to you that in order to do those two things, what you really need is the gospel. To take responsibility and to be able to practice forgiveness in an ongoing, profound, life-transformative kind of way, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about those two, and let's talk about how God helps us, God empowers us both to be able to take responsibility and to be able to offer forgiveness. So the first one is that God empowers you to take responsibility. And my first kind of sub-point around this is a little bit crazy, but this is a unique thing for us to be able to take responsibility. And I'm getting this going back to, again, Genesis, the very beginning, And Adam and Eve are created in the image of God. And part of being made in the image of God is that we have the possibility of responsibility. Now, if a chimpanzee steals something or even harms somebody, the chimpanzee can't take responsibility for what it's done. Human beings are this unique creature that can take responsibility for what we've done. It's part of being made in the image of God. And I would submit that the person who takes responsibility is actually living into their dignity as a human being more than the person who doesn't take responsibility. Taking responsibility, as painful as it can be at times, is part of our dignity as human beings. We're the only creatures who can do that, to take responsibility for what we've done. And it's right there at the the center uh, of, of our very design is to be creatures made in the image of God who have decision-making powers and an ability to take responsibility for the decisions that they make. And I find that this is encouragement to me to take responsibility in the moment that I don't want to take responsibility because actually I'm going to be living into my dignity, my the imago dei, more fully if I take responsibility than if I don't. The second one has to do with the sort of underguarding of forgiveness that God has made available to us in the person of Jesus Christ. I have to think about how hard it would be 
for me. And I'm not saying I'm necessarily good at admitting, admitting my wrong, but I would even be much worse at it if I didn't have sort of behind me this deep and profound understanding that the God of the universe has offered forgiveness to me in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how that dynamic plays itself out as we get to the forgiveness piece. But just to say this right now, that knowing that the God of the universe stands ready to forgive you for your sin, for how you harm the people around you, is a very, very powerful thing. Because within that context of acceptance, now you can sort of open the the closet in the dark areas of your life and start to pull out the broken and the sinful things that you've done, right? If if there was no hope, why would you even want to do that? If there's no hope of redemption, if there's no hope of healing, why would you even want to do that extremely painful work? But God, in Jesus Christ, stands ready to forgive you. And that empowers you to take responsibility for your sin, in particular in your relationships. God empowers you because it's a unique privilege to take responsibility. Forgiveness is available from God. And then the next one is that taking responsibility ends up not being an end but actually a beginning. I I don't know about you, but I I feel oftentimes when I am admitting fault to somebody, I feel it feels like death, right? And there is a death that's happening in that moment. Usually it's the death of my pride, right? But it's not, what what I'm afraid of is is that if I admit responsibility for what I've done, somehow I have this, illogical fear that it's going to get worse and it's never going to, and, and somehow I'm trying to pretend that it didn't happen, right? I'm trying to hold the reality at bay. No, that's not really what's going on, okay? Uh, because I'm afraid, I- I'm fearful of what's going to happen next. But when you look at the gospel, what you discover is actually the admission of guilt and the taking responsibility for our sin is not the end, it's the beginning of the redemptive process. That's Jesus on the cross where he takes into himself the sins of the world. They all thought that that was going to be the end of the story. Everybody was afraid. He's in the tomb. Oh no, it's all over. Everything's wrecked. All the hopes we thought we had are shattered. What are we going to do now? And what does God do? He bursts open that tomb and raises Jesus from the dead. And this is the dynamic, this is the pathway of taking responsibility for our sin, which isn't the end, even though it feels like that, it's actually the beginning of the redemptive process. As God then applies that same, the Bible says that same resurrection power is applied to our lives. It might take a long time, it might be immediate, but he begins to work out the brokenness, the fractured relationships, the need for healing. He begins to work out his resurrection power in it. And so we somehow have to get past this idea that that admitting guilt, admitting taking responsibility um, is, is all bad. It's often the doorway to redemption and healing 
of our brokenness and our relationships. And that truth empowers us to get over the hump, say, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and take responsibility in this moment for what I've done. It's not an end, but a beginning. And then lastly, we're empowered by the community around us. Forgiveness might be available from those who harmed us. This is a beautiful truth that, that when, we, when we take responsibility for what we've done in a relationship, it just might be that the person we've harmed will offer us forgiveness. And don't you know, isn't that the sweetest thing? Don't you know that you have that, when, when there's a fracture in the relationship and your, 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 your insides are churning because you're living with this continual discord and it's painful and you have that moment of forgiveness, of owning what you've done and then the person says, I forgive you. Don't you know when that moment happens, the freedom that you experience from the healing of the relationship, to be forgiven for what you've done is extremely powerful. We, I love that this is part of our dynamic in our house and with the kids, you know, we'll have that moment where you get on each other's nerves and there's a, there's a, a fracture, you say things that you didn't want to say um, and, and then you go away and, and you're carrying in your body the, the disconnect. And then, you know, if it's you, um, this is what, we, this is what we've, we've been practicing and, and, and continue to try and get better at. You send that, maybe the person's not by, you send that text, you say, I'm sorry for saying this. And the text goes off, and it, it, it's always better to do this in person, by the way, but I'm just thinking of an example that happened recently. Uh, and, then, and then it comes back and says, I forgive you. And in that moment, there's a sense of release, right? There's just, it's, it's like taking in a deep breath. I hope and pray that as the body of Christ, the church, that we're practicing forgiveness and learning how to give forgiveness more and more and more. In our, in our gathering. You know, things can even happen when we're gathered like this, where we snub one another or harm one another. Um, things happen in our, our families. Things happen in our friendship groups. Division happens in our home groups. And one of the ways that we manifest to the world the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is by being a community that practices forgiveness and is learning how to forgive more and more, and more. So that there's more of those moments of relief. And, and, and isn't it crazy, too, when you know you're in that kind of community? You actually are more liable to take responsibility for your sin. Same thing. It's like, it's like with God. It mirrors God. When, when you know God is standing ready to forgive you, you can take responsibility more easily. When you know the people around you are predisposed because of their relationship with God to forgive you, and to have the power to forgive you, we're going to talk about that in a second, then you're, you're, you're predisposed to take responsibility. Now, you shouldn't wait for them to, you know, it's not their fault if you don't take, you, we got to take responsibility. But creating a culture like that is a goal that God has set for us as the church. And it's, it's beautiful. And when the world sees that we're a, a complex people who 
are sometimes harming one another but have created this environment where we're practicing forgiveness, they say, uh, where does that come from? Where does forgiveness come from? Like that. Something qualitatively different about it. And that's when we can say, well, we got it from God. And that goes to the next point, that, that we have to take responsibility, but then we also have to learn how to offer forgiveness and be in the place of offering forgiveness. And sometimes in our relationships, we have to be, do both. We've got to take responsibility and offer forgiveness at the same time. And that was the second thing I wanted to say, is that God empowers you to forgive. Now, to forgive is interesting. Um, it's to absorb into yourself the injustice and the consequences of that which has been done to you, right? That's what it means to forgive somebody. It's to absorb it. And sometimes you have to absorb it in an ongoing way. You have repeated reminders of the thing that was done to you that was harmful. As you walk through life, somebody says something, or you meet somebody who is like what you wanted and thought was going to happen, or, or just all kinds of ways. We're reminded over the space of time, uh, in some ways, of the forgiveness that we have to give. And so it's this deep absorption of the injustice and the consequences. And where does that come from? And for that, we've got to dig deep in to what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. People say, why couldn't God just offer forgiveness? Why did God have to enter into the world in the person of Jesus Christ and go to the cross? I don't like the cross because, I mean, it's just so bloody and dramatic, and it offends me. Why did God have to do that? Why couldn't he just say, you're forgiven? Why, why all of that? And the answer is that a robust, real, effective forgiveness has to be more than just philosophical. It has to be tangible. It has to be in the flesh, it has to be real. It has to be more than just a nice idea. And when Jesus goes to the cross, that's what God is demonstrating, that, that both my forgiveness is valuable because it costs a lot, but it's wonderful because it's connected to reality. It's not just some theoretical idea. Look with me in, in Romans 9. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair uh, in front of you uh, on page uh, 548. And Romans is a phenomenally complicated book, but wonderfully so in the sense that it dives into some of these complex dynamics around the person of Jesus and in this section in particular, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And if you look in chapter 9, verse 23, uh, I'm actually going to back up one verse it says in verse 22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Built into the fabric of this world is this dynamic that when there is injustice, there needs to be tangible work done to make it right. 
Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Listen to this. We have some help, right, in our... (laughs) I don't know who it is, and I don't want to know. We love you and forgive you. Um... All right, verse 24. For Christ has entered... This is not in the holy places made with hands. So that would be the temple and the whole Old Testament sort of repetitive offering of animal sacrifices. That was just kind of a human um, reflection of what was to happen in the divine realm, which Jesus accomplished on the cross when he offered himself as the sacrificial lamb. Okay, So for Christ has entered, not in the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood. There it is, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes to judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins for many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. And so when you ask, why couldn't God just forgive within himself? He did. He forgave within himself. He figured out a way in himself. He stepped into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, went to the cross, and through all the kind of grit and and gore that that was, actually took into himself Uh, the consequences and the punishment for sin. And so it wasn't this philosophical idea. It actually really happened. And that work of Jesus Christ becomes the pillar and the bedrock of the power to forgive that we so desperately long to have in our lives and influencing our relationships. And there's a way that we can connect to that pillar, cosmic, foundational forgiveness in the person of Jesus Christ. And connecting to it ends up empowering us to be able to forgive others who need to be forgiven if we're going to continue to have a healthy relationship or if we're going to grow beyond in a healthy relationship. See, just just the way health with God works out, it works out horizontally as well. So when you remember, this is the first one, God empowers you to forgive. Remember you have been forgiven. We we already kind of encountered this in in, when Jesus taught us to pray. He said, pray like this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? And we read it today in Colossians 3.13, where it says, forgive as you were forgiven, okay? It's a very powerful dynamic, and I don't know that I even understand how it works, but I know it does work because I've experienced it in my life over and over again, that when I'm having trouble forgiving somebody, if I begin to reflect on all the ways that God has forgiven me, it's crazy. It's like suddenly... I experience an empowerment to be able to forgive this person, okay? So at some point, I'm thinking about my father and maybe what I felt like at some point in my life was a deficiency in the way that he related to me. 
right? Now I start thinking about um, my own deficiencies and how I've related to others and how I have sinned against them and failed to fulfill my role in their lives, right? And now, as I think about my father, all of a sudden the intensity around my emotions towards him starts to dissipate. So there's something very powerful, and the Bible tells it, and, and it ha- this whole idea of, you know, forgive as you forgive it happens in multiple places in the New Testament, um, and I've just mentioned two. But this is an important way that God empowers us to forgive, to remember all that we have been forgiven. And then the second one, if you thought that was mysterious, this one's even more mysterious. Receive the help of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus died and atoned for sin, the Bible teaches that what essentially happened there is that the way was open. In fact, it says that the curtain was torn in the temple, which is where the presence of God would be behind the curtain. The curtain was torn. So the presence of God now, it's almost like it's released, okay? And so the way the Bible talks about that is God's presence through the Holy Spirit. And because of the work of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit present with us. And part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to do what we can't do in our own strength, what we say is in the flesh, okay? So in the spirit or in the flesh. And so much of the time, forgiveness is one of those things where we hit a, we hit a wall because we can't offer forgiveness in the flesh. We need something greater. We need the spirit. And the beautiful thing of the gospel is that we have the Holy Spirit present. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ to have that atoning sacrifice applied to your life for forgiveness then the Bible teaches that you have the Holy Spirit within you and that we as the community of the people of God have the Holy Spirit within us. And this is a beautiful, beautiful thing because the Holy Spirit empowers us to forgive beyond what we could do in our own strength. Some of you have probably heard this story um, from Corey Tenboom, um, But she says it in such a wonderful way, I, I just felt like it was worth repeating um, Corey Tenboom was a woman who lived through World War II, and her and her family ended up harboring Jewish people to protect them from the Nazis. And the result of that is she ended up in prison, uh, you know, one of the concentration camps. And uh, her sister ended up dying uh, in part of that process. Um, Corey Tenboom <coughs> is a follower of Jesus. Um, and she was in Munich uh, after World War II, many, many years later. And she was teaching a group of people on the subject of forgiveness. And what happened at the end of her talk was uh, a man stood up and began to walk forward to her. And she remembered that the man, because he had been a prison guard in the prison where she was, in the prison where she lost her sister. And as he's walking forward, she describes it's almost like he was going back and forth between the man who is now wearing a suit and the man who had the, the prison guard's clothing on. She could just see that flash of reality so burnished in her mind. And he came forward and he, he said, that was a wonderful talk, Fraulein, on forgiveness. And you mentioned this prison 
uh, I was a prison guard there. He didn't recognize her. She recognized him, but he didn't recognize her. She goes, I, you know, she's thinking, I know you were a prison guard there. I remember you. I remember what you did. I remember how you harmed us and me. And um, he says, I've become a Christian, and I have repented of all the things that I have done. And I believe that God has forgiven me for what I've done. But it would mean so much to me if you would forgive me also. And he, he, he put his hand forward to Corey Ten Boom to, as a sign of forgiveness, right? That she would shake his hand. And this is where we pick it up. She writes, and I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died, that's her sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. That's her prayer. Jesus, help me. God, I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you supply the feeling. Because she had no forgiveness in her at that moment. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. If we want to know the extent of God's love, the depth and the richness and the abundance and the awesome power of God's love, sorry to say it's often going to be in those moments where we have to extend forgiveness when it seems impossible. And the only way to do it is to draw on the strength, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. To do the physical thing of stretching out your hand and allow God to carry you the rest of the way. So God, would you help us in this moment? We if you feel comfortable just turning your, your palms up to God right now, just in a, a posture of receptivity, to ask God um, to help you. Perhaps there's a relationship that has been fraught with division and discord in your life, and it's painful, and maybe there's some clarity coming today about things you need to take responsibility for and things you need to offer forgiveness for and yet you feel overwhelmed by the prospect of it. So just with your hands turned up like that in a posture of receptivity, would you um, reflect on the faithfulness and the goodness of God in Jesus Christ, the foundational moment of all forgiveness, 
And would you remember the Holy Spirit? And God, what I want to ask for us individually and collectively this morning is that you would pour out your Spirit upon us and empower us to take responsibility, empower us to offer forgiveness, even in circumstances that might seem to us at this moment impossible, intractable, unhealable. We nonetheless, because of the resurrection, are a people of hope, even in the gravest circumstances. And so we come to you and we ask you that you would demonstrate your power, show us the extent of your love, help us to know you more, bring healing in our relationships, Free us from the prison of blame by pouring out your spirit on us in our humility and our need this morning. That's our prayer, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. And how fitting that we would then come to the table where God demonstrated in such a powerful way and and calls us to remember all that we've been talking about this morning.